Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Brian Ellison. Today is Monday, December 11th. Coming up, it's been a tumultuous year for trans, non-binary, or gender-questioning kids and adults seeking health care in Missouri. We'll check in on the latest confrontation between the state's attorney general and care providers and ask what's ahead. But first, our weekly look at the top government and politics stories on both sides of the state line. We start in Kansas with ongoing disputes over law enforcement's use of civil asset forfeiture. That's where police seize property that may be part of a criminal act. They say it's an important tool for stopping the flow of drugs like fentanyl into the state. But as Dylan Lyson of the Kansas News Service reports, a panel of state lawmakers wants to ensure the practice is not being used unfairly. The lawmakers are recommending changes to state law that include denying civil asset forfeiture in cases of lower-level crimes like simple possession of drugs, and forcing the return of property if police fail to report seizures on time. But they rejected a proposal to require a criminal conviction to seize property. Sam McRoberts of the Kansas Justice Institute says the use of police seizures in Kansas is going unchecked by state law. It is fundamentally unfair for the government to be able to take and keep a person's property without proving that the person had done anything wrong. Lawmakers will consider the recommendations during the legislative session. New research finds thousands more people are traveling to Kansas for abortions than before the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Rose Conlon of the Kansas News Service reports. 3,700 more people traveled to Kansas for an abortion in the first six months of 2023 than a similar period in 2020. That's according to new data from the Guttmacher Institute, which supports abortion rights. It found interstate abortion travel more than doubled since Roe was overturned last year. Zachary Gingrich Gaylord at the Wichita Clinic Trust Women says the numbers align with what staff see on the ground. Our clinic receives an average of three to 4,000 phone calls a day. We have capacity for around 40 to 50 appointments per clinic day. He says 81 out of every 100 patients the clinic sees are from out of state. There's a vacancy on the Kansas City Board of Police Commissioners. There has been since the retirement last month of Mark Tolbert, the only one of the four state-appointed members of the board who was black. Governor Mike Parson tells KCUR that he hasn't yet decided who to appoint to that slot, but he's considering the board's diversity as he makes his decision. Well, I'm not sure where they would be, but we're well aware of, of the people up there and the representation on that board. So we want to make sure everybody has a voice on, on the board up there. Kansas City's mayor, Quentin Lucas, is now the only person of color serving on the board, which is the nation's only state-controlled governing body for a major American city police department. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Ever since taking office earlier this year, Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey has been focused on the issue of gender-affirming care for transgender kids and adults. 
Hospitals and other providers in the state say they adhere to widely accepted standards and practices for patients who are transitioning from the sex assigned at their birth to their gender identity. Bailey and some other Republican officials in the state have called those practices experimental or dangerous, though substantial evidence and most major medical associations would refute that. Last week, one of those disputes broke out in a lawsuit filed by Washington University's Transgender Center against Bailey's office. Missouri Independent's Annalise Hanshaw has been covering the issue over the past year. I asked her first what exactly this latest lawsuit alleges. So his investigation became public after the affidavit of Jamie Reed, who is a longtime employee of the Transgender Center. And her allegations became public in the national media website, The Free Press, which largely seems to publish more right-wing content. Um, And so then his investigation became public right after um, Jamie Reed's story went on The Free Press. And Jamie Reed was alleging that the Transgender Center at WashU was not uh, conforming to commonly accepted medical practices for gender-affirming care, right? Yeah, her story alleged that you could have essentially two one-hour appointments and be out the door with cross-sex hormones. But after those stories came out and after Andrew Bailey sort of made his investigation public, a lot of families who received care at the center pushed back. Others have really said what Jamie Reed alleged wasn't true, right? Yeah. So I've talked to a former employee that worked with Jamie Reed and patients and families of those patients of the transgender center who said it was quite a process to get puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones and that it was a long time like some waited over a year before they started hormones and that they felt that they were very informed before they started that process some described jamie reed as a gatekeeper to this medicine when they were trying to go through the transgender center Okay, so that's been going on. On Monday of last week, the university filed a lawsuit against Bailey, alleging what? Washington University said that the attorney general is asking for way too many records in his investigation. They said this is private health information and that he needs to narrow his request to what he has the authority under the consumer protection law he is citing. Right. He's bringing all of this under a, a law that's that's never been used in this way to, to regulate particular medical practices. But Bailey himself snapped back last week on Thursday with a countersuit. What's that claim about? Yeah. So his counterclaim, it's all under the same overarching lawsuit. So it's within the same judge. But he, he said it's totally within his authority, and he wonders whether the federal government is pressure, pressuring Washington University to withhold documents from him. Um, and he mostly pointed to um, Washington University's alleged compliance in the beginning. He said Washington University had a few objections at the beginning, but it seemed to get worse over the months of them going back and forth and having these teleconferences. Is there actually any evidence that the Biden administration or anyone in Washington is involved in this case? He did not cite specific evidence of federal interference. You know, we've heard that there might be a federal investigation and there's a federal law being cited, but we're not seeing whether, you know, if Washington University 
started getting more cautious, you know, what the factor could be. Um, so we're not sure yet what's going on. The federal law in question is, is what's known as HIPAA, right? The, the privacy protections for people receiving medical care. Yes, yes. That's what Washington University is citing when they're saying we can't hand over these records. So this particular case, Annalise, takes place against the backdrop of what has been a turbulent and conflicted year for gender-affirming health care in Missouri on a number of fronts. The attorney general's office tried to use this same consumer protection law to impose new regulations on certain types of care received by transgender people in the state. That was back in April. Uh, remind us of what Bailey was trying to do back then. Back in April, he placed an emergency order that would have restricted gender-affirming care for both children and adults. His press releases mostly cited protecting children, but it would have affected adults and said um, certain things needed to be proved before you could access this care. And providers said this was quite the barrier, but this was fought in court and eventually he um, withdrew it and the legislature had already uh, passed their ban. Right. So that, that ban that was passed by the Missouri General Assembly, there had been a lengthy filibuster by Senate Democrats. Eventually, what the Republican-controlled legislature passed was kind of a watered-down version of a ban on transgender care for minors. It was supposed to allow for the continuation of care to those already receiving it. Uh, some cities, including Kansas City, declared itself a sanctuary city. Where has all of that gone since Governor Parson signed that legislation? So Governor Parsons signed it and some transgender people in Missouri felt like, OK, there's this clause in there that says I don't have to stop my medicine. Those transgender minors who have already, you know, started puberty blockers or started cross-sex hormones could continue on that medicine is what the law said. But there is a provision that even it seems to apply across everyone, though it's up to interpretation as any law is, that it is way, way more extensive than your normal medical malpractice provision and defines harm as infertility, which is something usually providers discuss with people who go through puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones, though it is not 100% an effect of these medications. There's just extensive um, consequences for providers. And so both Mizzou, uh, Missouri University, Columbia's healthcare system in Columbia and Washington University and St. Louis's healthcare system have decided to stop all gender affirming care for minors, even those who previously were receiving care from them. We also heard reports of families actually leaving Missouri, saying that they didn't feel like it was a safe place for them, including in part because health care was going to get more difficult to obtain. Yes, I've heard this from families with minor children and adults. Um, some, it was the emergency rule that did it. Some who just, the tension over time with the legislature got too much and they had the means to move. So so they did it. But, you know, I talked to one family with a teenager and they just kept reiterating how lucky they feel. And the, and the teen said, you know, are we really the right people? Because we're so privileged that we can do this. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people who just are looking to those sanctuary city um, provisions as hope 
they're even trying that in Columbia, Missouri, trying the Kansas City model and trying to get that through in Columbia, though that's in very early stages. It's unclear, isn't it, Annalise, exactly what kind of protection that sort of declaration at a city level, that it's a sanctuary city for transgender care, will actually have. Children's Mercy in Kansas City says it's complying with state law. Not totally clear what that's going to mean in the future. Yeah, Children's Mercy hasn't said a ton, though it's hard to know what it is doing. It, I've not heard anything from the patients at Children's Mercy. So yeah, the sanctuary city provision could be protecting those providers and patients. It empowers the locals that the police are not going to um, arrest them for seeking this care, which is a common fear because I just think fear is a big thing when you hear that this healthcare that you may or may not have been receiving becomes illegal. It's something that is just new. It's new and worth exploring yeah. um, to see what what's actually happening. But uh, untested um, in court. Not, yeah, yeah. It's, I'm not sure what practically it looks like. That was Annalise Hanshaw, who covers education for the Missouri Independent. You can read more of her work at MissouriIndependent.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Brian Ellison. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and KCUR Studios and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. For more local news from Kansas City's NPR station, visit KCUR.org. Thanks for listening and have a great week. You listen to Kansas City Today every day because we're your local, reliable news source. You take us seriously. But now it's time to have some fun. Join us at our annual benefit, Radioactive, on June 14th. NPR's All Things Considered host Ari Shapiro is the featured guest at this party, and it's gonna be bumping. You gotta be there. Sponsorship packages and ticket information are available at kcur.org radioactive.